Hello and welcome to the summer edition of Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. Today we will be speaking with Brian Caulfield of the Fathers for Good campaign and also a rebroadcast of a conversation I had with author and broadcaster Michael Corrin about his new book, Why Catholics Are Right. We will also speak with Serena Payton, a singer-songwriter, and with Anna Da Costa, uh, both wonderful singer-songwriters. But we begin with Fathers for Good. Now, you may be familiar with an initiative by the Knights of Columbus called Fathers for Good. We actually have spoken about it on, in this program before. It's a web-based resource for fathers that highlights the unique contributions of men, of husbands and fathers. So whether you've been a dad for a long time or you're a new dad or you're a dad-to-be or maybe you're a single guy wanting to know more about fatherhood, this website is for you. Since its creation in 2008, Fathers for Good has had many interesting initiatives. And to tell us about a few new ones, we're joined now by Brian Caulfield of Fathers for Good. Brian, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Well, thank you, Pedro. Great to be here. Yes, I should say welcome back to Salt and Light Radio. Um, One of the interesting initiatives that that I saw on the site is a feature where, um, I guess, Catholics or Catholics of renown uh, have written a brief tribute to their dads. Yes, uh, this is something uh, I think it's important. Uh, every man, you know, wants to give tribute to his father and woman as well. We have a few women featured on on the site, right? And it's to give people an idea that their fathers are important, and sometimes that father relationship uh, isn't one that's as natural or as stressed uh, as obviously the mother-child relationship. So it gives men and women a possibility to. Uh, to see what other people are writing about their father and their memories, and also to uh, have a few comments uh, on that page right. as well to, to add to it. Why do you think it's important for, for people to remember their dads or, or give tribute to their dads? Well, I think dads maybe sometimes aren't as... I mean, Father's Day, which is coming up, yes. uh, that's what this is linked to. Um, you know, Father's Day, as you know, is not as big a... Uh, a, a day as, as, as Mother's, Mother's Day, Day and, no. yeah. you know, and, and I don't say that's, you know, that's wrong because, you know, mothers are, are the ones who give birth and they carry the child. And, yeah. you know, I think uh, there's a natural kind of a connection between a mother and child. Yeah. Uh, a father relationship has to kind of be built. You know, I like to say, you know, we try to build our relationships yeah. with hammer and nail, um, but yeah. also we need to, uh, you know, get the emotions involved too. And that's what this is about. Right. It's, uh, you know, looking back, you know, remembering the emotions, you know, good times, even bad times. Right. You know, but all in, in, in the perspective of, of gratitude, you know, for your father that, you know, he, he probably, you know, as, as I'm a father myself, I realize how smart my father was. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I have I know. to face some of those same problems with my own kids. Yeah, I know. I know. We didn't, we didn't think that when we were adolescents. Um, another <laughs> another uh, feature that you have um, includes some, I'd, I'd say they're famous, famous Hollywood fathers like Jim Caviezel or, or uh, Mark Wahlberg. Um, why was it important to include them the way they've been featured as fathers? Well, yeah, it's funny. We've gotten, uh, of all the features you know, in our Father's Day package, that one's gotten the most comments. Yeah. And I th- you know, f- there's been some fathers coming in and saying, 
you know, I'm sending this link to my kids who are teenagers because they need to know that there are good Catholic fathers, you know, in Hollywood. Right. And so much in the papers and on the web is about the negative things, about stars, and, you know, you can think of all the, the negative things, uh, you know, Hollywood stars yeah. go through and the yeah. divorce and things like that and the multiple marriages. And it was just inspiring for uh, a lot of people to read about, you know, fathers who really are committed to their Catholic faith. Right. Uh, we had Jim Caviezel, um, Chris O'Donnell. Danny uh, Thomas. Well, we go back to Danny Thomas, who's sort of the original uh, yeah. uh, in the old days, you know, uh, Make Room for Daddy and Mark yeah. Wahlberg. And, you know, th- these are men who were trying to live their Catholic faith and doing it, you know, more or less in the public eye, which is not always easy in that environment of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, th- there's another, I, f- I hope it doesn't feel like I'm just kind of whizzing through these because they're all very interesting. And I do encourage our listeners to, to go check out the website, fathersforgood.org. But um, there was a particular feature that really uh, uh, interested or intrigued me. And it's the one about, you, you've, you're asking your readers to remember when they first knew that they had passed into manhood. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, uh, and how, I, how do you know you're a man? There's a ton of comments. Of course, I didn't get a chance to read all the comments. But, but uh, it forced me to look back, and I don't know, I'm going to have to spend more time with this, but why was, where did that come from? Why is that important? Well, I, I had heard uh, a talk at a Catholic men's conference, and I think it was by Father Larry Richards, and he really hit on something, which was, you know, how does a, a Western man, you know, in our culture, know that he's passed into manhood from adolescence to manhood? Because we have so few markers. Right, so there's no you know, o- official ritual. Of, yeah, there's yeah. no official ritual. There's no rite of passage. Yeah. Um, it's sort of been downplayed. You know, you think, well, when I got my first license or, you know, for some guys is when I first got drunk, you know, yeah. things like I could drink legally. Um, but, you know, there isn't that definite marker. And, and there's a lot of research today about men delaying their um, from adult, you know, extending their adolescence and yes. delaying their entry into manhood and, you know, getting married later and having children later. So I thought it would be interesting. It's, it's probably something that most men would be interested in thinking about yeah. and, you know, bring back maybe some good memories or some awkward memories. Or, and we did get a lot of comments on that, and, and men were really opening up about it and you know, a couple of comments also said, well, it's still going on. You know, it's like, right, yeah. You know. Some, I actually did read it. It was a, a gentleman. I think he said he was 66 or something, and he's still, uh, he's still becoming a man. Do, yeah. Can, can yeah. you remember some, some specific moments that, that some of the readers may re- refer to as when they became a man? Uh, do they still go back to when my first child was born or when I got married or when I graduated from university? Or are, are men looking at, at more significant or more personal events? Well, you know, you're looking at some of the older guys who responded to this. Yeah. There's one who said, when I was uh, a commander of a ship in the Navy, and I realized all these men, I was responsible for all these men. I knew then I was a man. And another one, when he didn't run away under fire, I think it was in the Korean War. Oh, wow. Um, You know, that kind of thing. I mean, that's very dramatic. Um, well, but do you think, do you think, and here I, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but do you think it has to do with assuming certain responsibilities or, or, or courage? I think definitely, you know, for men, it's, uh, that's it. I mean, someone's given this responsibility and said, you know, you got to grow up or grow out, you know, it's like, you know, right. ship up or shape, out, shape up or ship out. 
Yeah. And maybe guys are not given that opportunity today because everything is, you know, you go through high school, then you go through college, then you're graduate school, and then, you know, there, there's it's delayed. It's a kind of a delayed kind of taking on of responsibility. And uh, I, I think some guys kind of end that whole thing and say, you know, who am I and what am I doing? Right. So for, for some, well, maybe for a lot of them, it, it is related to fatherhood because that's when you have these specific responsibilities that, you know, better better smarten up or not or else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. I mean, you have to step up. And, uh, and I think of my father, he, he joined the Navy when he was 17 and uh, into World War II. So, I mean, he felt he was wow. old enough at the time and it was encouraged that, you know, look, you're old enough, go, you know, fight, be a hero, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, not sometimes anymore. Um, you know, and now we talk about the heli- helicopter parents who are, you know, even with the kids graduating college, you know, they're all around and they're and doing the parent, everything. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, we're, I don't think we're doing our kids a lot of, you know, we don't want to throw them out into the sea. But, uh, you know, along the way, we need to give them certain ways of, of doing things on their own and going through little rites of passage as they, as they uh, grow older. Right. Now, um, the last uh, initiative I want to ask you about is the Father's Day Novena that you've, in, I guess, initiated. Sure. Um, w- w- you're encouraging everyone to pray for fathers? Yes, I think so. And uh, this is Novena is dedicated to St. Joseph, the oh. patron of fathers. Of course. And it's a video-based. We have nine different videos by a noted uh, you know, Catholic men speakers. You know, they're kind of known on the Catholic uh, conference speaker tour. Right. And basically they give three to four minute meditations on different themes of fatherhood, relating it to the life and the virtues of St. Joseph. And uh, there's also the prayer, uh, the St. Joseph that we have. Uh, right. So it's, not, so it's not strictly just praying a novena because you're offering uh, your, your viewers, I guess, your, your followers, some meditation or reflection, something something to chew on as well. Yes, and it's also a visual base, which, you know, on the web is what people yeah. are looking for. Yeah, it is. So rather than just, you know, post a novena prayer that people, we said, why don't we do something a little different? Why don't we, you know, get some, uh, you know, noted speakers to give a little reflection on different aspects of fatherhood, you know, their own fatherhood and the virtues of St. Joseph. Yeah. And, uh, you know, see how that goes. No, yeah, no, and, and I'd say uh, it, it, that... It's specific to Father's Day, but maybe it isn't. That there's something that that anyone can go and and watch the videos at any time and and still benefit from it and still pray for. You don't have to wait for Father's Day to pray for fathers. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. the videos really are applicable to any time. Yes, for um, sure. Just talking about the virtues uh, of men and fathers of fatherhood. Yeah, no, it's a great great idea, um, Brian. Thank you so much for joining us today and for helping us. Uh, Kind of remember our dads and, and, and remember what uh, being a man is all about. Good. And uh, just remember fathersforgood.org. And uh, it's, it's there. And it's always being updated uh, with, new, uh, with new content. Absolutely. Um, yes, it's a great site, fathersforgood.org. We're going to put a link to that on our site. Uh, I was just speaking with Brian Caulfield of the Fathers for Good Initiative of the Knights of Columbus. Um, and here now is our featured artist of the week, Serena Payton from her album Remember the song Carry On You can cry I don't mind Let your teardrops fall I will catch them all in 
Was Serena Payton with Carry On from her album La Carissima. When I first heard of Serena Payton, I did so in connection with a Remembrance Day concert. Turns out that most of what she does is in connection with some charity. She has way too many credits to mention here, but you've been listening to her exquisite voice and her beautiful songs. So, what more can I say? I spoke to Serena earlier this week while she was in Mexico. Serena, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. So, Thank you so much. So what are you doing in Mexico? I actually just uh, just finished singing in a concert with uh, a great artist here, uh, Fernando Lima. Uh-huh. He's a countertenor from Argentina and has an enormous following in Mexico. So I was lucky enough that he invited me down to perform with him. Right. And he had another guest actually from Nashville. So the three of oh, us... Nice. Uh, performed in Hermosillo in Sonora and it was an amazing experience. The people were so warm Big and crowd, so yeah. Oh, we had I think over 5,000 people really? there. Wow. So and this is not the first time you performed with Fernando in Mexico, right? 
No, this is actually the second time. Nice. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was I was here singing in Toluca in the cathedral, mm-hmm. and it was it was a beautiful experience. And actually, it was the first time that um, they had had anything musical inside the church because right. they were worried that uh, the music would not reflect actually what what God's message was, and uh, the concert that we performed actually changed their mind, so we were very proud of that and very happy that we could show them that that music really is a gift. Yeah. Um, When I was, uh, you know, well, you and I met, what was it, two years ago, and and when I first heard about you and uh, was reading up about you, and it seemed that everything you did had, had, had something to do with a charity, that you're raising funds for this or doing something for that. Um, why is that so important? You're not just a, you know, a beautiful woman who has a beautiful voice, who's got great music, but you're doing it for something, for another reason. Is that fair to say? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, definitely. I just feel that it's so important that I get to do something that I love and I treasure so much and to be able to use that to give back to people who maybe need a fresh start or they need support or they need somebody to believe in them or know that they are loved and that their life is important and they deserve exactly what everybody else what everybody else does that's it's um, I think it's part of why it makes me so happy to be able to do what I do um, and see that that just the, the sharing a little song or sharing a smile or sharing a conversation, that can have such an impact on someone's life. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always try to combine it with a charity or with something that really I'm very passionate about, uh, even if it's something like the Lung Association. Um, those are issues that affect people's quality right. of life yeah. and how they're able to, to enjoy their, their life with their family or their friends and enjoy all of their time. And that's so important to me that, that we do whatever we can to bring people together and make sure that they know that, that we're there to support them. So, so you mentioned uh, that you had sang in the cathedral in Toluca in Mexico and, and, and how important that was for you. So does any of this uh, have anything to do with your faith or with your upbringing or like, was it always like that, or did something change for you that, that made you kind of want to give a little extra in terms of your music and your talent? Well, when I started singing, uh, my first experience in front of people was singing for uh, the residents of nursing homes <laughs> and on the Alzheimer's ward. Right. So it was an instant connection for me, and there was never a barrier of age or um, anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I I really felt an instant connection with people and how you could just share a song or, or a memory and you were instantly connected and you mm-hmm. had uh, this bond and, and that was so beautiful for me. And um, I also have sung for, for many of the veterans and that as well is, you know, it's it's such a life-changing experience to to sing some of the Vera Lynn songs and have them all singing with you. Right. And when I actually started singing cantering in church when I was 11. Right. And it was the same thing that you felt this instant connection from all of the people uh, in the congregation and it was a way of celebrating together. And uh, 
saying that we have something in our hearts that all that connects all of us mm-hmm. and unites all of us and um, sometimes those things can be different for for every person but but there are things that are universal right let me ask you about yeah. the about the veterans because that's uh, an is it fair to say that it's an issue or, or something that's very close to your heart, your Remembrance Day concerts? Um, uh, where, what's the connection there for you? Well, it started off being a family connection. My grandma was in the Second World War and my grandfather as well. Mm-hmm. And it was something that was really important to me to to show them how much they mean to me and show, show them how much all of their sacrifices uh, have changed the world and have allowed every one of us of this generation to be able to live in such a different way. Right. And gradually, as I started uh, doing more and more performances for them, um, all of the veterans have shared so much of their lives with me. Mm. And to sit and talk with them about their experiences and about the great things that happened um, yeah. in spite of all the tragedy. It's really a true gift, and some of them definitely are the wisest and sweetest right. people that I have ever met, right. and I treasure all of my time with them. Mm-hmm. Now, later this year, you're going to be working on a, a new project um, exploring poetry uh, f- from World War One. Is that sort of part of the, 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 your, your ongoing relationship with veterans and Remembrance Day? Definitely. I think it, it really excites me to be able to to give something different. And also, um, I love poetry and, and the history and culture behind these things. And mm-hmm. to, to be able to um, unite a lot of different art forms. So it's music and photography. It's so, it's so amazing. And it's, uh, it really changes how people view that material. So that's going to be a recording or is it going to be a live event? Or both? Uh, well, what we're actually hoping is that uh, we'll be able to tape a concert, a concert special, uh, and then also okay, have great. some of the poems recited and uh, use film footage from that era and uh, photography and really bring to life that, that point in time. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure you let us know about that, and we can have you back on the show. Um, I want to oh, ask. I would love to. Yeah, I, I would. I want to ask you a little bit about the songwriting. Um, we've been listening to some of your of your music, and uh, so uh, is there a particular message that I, I know? And I'm asking this. I don't want to kind of harp too much on the remembrance thing, but but your album "Remember" is the one that has the most songs that are co-written uh, by you. Is there that was actually uh, the first time that I had really explored the world of, of songwriting. I had always written before, but uh, I had never really written songs. And so when we were talking about this project, uh, we started writing some of the material mm-hmm. because it was something that I, I was so passionate about. And it really has stayed with me, and I've continued that. And I'm working on some new material right now. And it's it's so beautiful to be able to really express my my heart and my soul in a different way, uh, not just going on stage and and singing and and putting myself into everything, but but also through songwriting, I'm able to do that, and and it's wonderful because uh, I'm able to use both 
both of the languages that I mm-hmm. I have at my disposal, some yes. English and some Spanish. So Great. Yeah. Um, we have to leave it there, Serena, but it's been really good uh, chatting with you. Um, thank you for your music. Keep doing what you're doing. It's, it, it's great. You're inspiring a lot of people. And uh, have fun in Mexico. <laughs> oh, thank you so, so much. It's my pleasure. That was Serena Payton. If you're in the Toronto area, Serena will be performing this coming Friday, June 10th at the Lower Ossington Theatre. I'm going to be there, so come and say hello. And then, at the end of the month, she's going to be singing with the Grand Salon Orchestra at the Brockville Centre for the Arts. You can get more information at her website, serenapayton.com. Here now is Serena with Nunca, which means never, a song that talks about how things won't change until we encounter God. Say
If you're at all like me, you continually get yourself into situations with people whose knowledge of the church is limited to what they hear through popular culture. Comments like, well, the church is against scientific research, so look at what they did to Galileo. Or, the church has killed and tortured more people in the name of religion than anyone. Look at the Crusades and the Inquisition. Or, how can the church teach us about morality? They're all just a bunch of pedophiles. And do I take it? Do I know how to respond to these comments? Do I believe them myself? Well, journalist, author, and TV and radio host Michael Corrin doesn't. And he knows exactly how to respond to such attacks. And that's why he wrote his latest book, Why Catholics Are Right. And to tell us all about it, I'm joined now by Michael Corrin. Michael, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you so much. It's a very kind introduction. And... um yeah. Best book ever written, available at Amazon.ca. <laughs> <laughs> shameless, shameless. Well, anyway, it, it, is, it is a good book. So tell us, why, why is this book necessary? I wish it wasn't in a way. I mean, yeah. I'm very proud of the book, but uh, there's not a level playing field, and, and, and to a large extent, Catholics have been excluded from the public square. It's okay for big boys like uh, the, the, the two of us, and we can cope with this, but for a lot of ordinary people, they're... They're busy paying the bills, paying the mortgage, looking after their kids and so on. And they hear there's this grinding, uh, uh, implicit abuse of the Catholic Church. It's often just subtle. Sometimes it's clumsy. Yeah. And they want to respond, but they, they, they don't always have the time to read the books, and they're, they're too busy. What I've tried to do in, I mean, it's only 80,000 words, is to address all of the usual arguments we hear against the Church. And, and when people say to me, oh, I've got... Got a new argument against the church for you? I always say, no, you haven't. I've heard everyone. Yeah, heard yeah, yeah. Years of talk radio and TV and and writing. So, 
I, I go through the chapters after an introduction about the, the nature of the title, Catholics and Abuse, Catholics and History, Catholics and Theology, Catholics and Life, Catholics and other stuff. So right. all the, where are ta- what we believe, what we don't believe, the history of the Church, just putting the record straight. It's not blindless defense of the Church. We've been wrong sometimes, but right. let's make sure that people understand what they're dealing with. So, is it, so it's not like an anthology, you don't go to question-answer kind of thing, you're, you're no. looking at, at uh, is it like a historical compilation, historical the, apologetics? There's a chapter on history, and the first chapter's on abuse. I had to put that at the beginning, even yeah. though it's well, quite grotesque, but I had to deal with, with what happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen, I'm explaining what happened and why mm-hmm. it happened. So let's condemn the wrongdoers, but let's make sure we understand what it really was. Then history, I, I begin with the, the Crusades, Inquisition, Galileo. By the way, when anyone attacks Galileo, uh, on the Galileo issue, you know one thing for sure, they cannot spell Galileo. Right. And, uh, and on the Holocaust, and they move on to ca- the theology, what we believe, what we don't believe, and then let's get this right. And then life, which is life and sexuality, abortion, euthanasia, and gay marriage, and so on. And then the last chapter is really a collection of just very small issues I've thrown into one chapter, like the Da Vinci Code and, and so on and, and, and other issues. Is, is it your, ex, your experience, it is mine, so maybe, that, that sort of the attacks on, on the Catholic Church are the, are, are, is the last one, the Catholic Church is the last one thing that it's okay to attack or discriminate against? Yeah, I say this in the book, it's the last acceptable prejudice. But yeah. Um, Islam, for example, uh, people are either physically frightened or they simply believe it wouldn't be appropriate. It might be racist. Uh, Judaism, of course, a, f- a fear of being accused of anti-Semitism. Um, but when it comes to religion, the one religion, you, evangelical Christians too, but Catholics are seen as, as the bad guys. And this incredibly anti-intellectual assumption that the church has always been on the wrong side, on the dark side. And yeah. it, it, it's ludicrous. It's not true. Um, I mean, the Holocaust, for example. I mean, yeah. you know, my, my father was, was Jewish, and I... I've studied this in, in Jerusalem, in original sources, and in Europe. This, this idea that the church was on the wrong side, it was pro-Nazi, is, is horrible. It's a gargoyle of relativism. It's not true. Uh-huh. Pope Pass was praised by Jewish and Israeli leaders uh, all through his life. And when he died, Golda Meir, who was foreign minister of Israel at the time, made this beautiful and moving speech about how wonderful he'd be. And it was only when there was a concerted attempt to attack him, yeah. the people began to change the story. And in fact, it's, it's Jewish historians like Martin Gilbert and, and Rabbi Dalin today who are, yes. who are saying, this isn't true. He was, he was a great man. He was one of the saviors of the Jewish people. Yeah, exactly. Somebody wrote a play about it, and that's what people know. The deputy, written yeah. by an East German communist, who yes. later became a defender of Holocaust denier David Irving, and this was what made people apparently yeah. come to the conclusion that the Pope was pro-Nazi. It's laughable. Amazing. Amazing. So why do you think that, that, that those prejudices exist? I mean, there's not like there's a conspiracy no. against the church. So why is it? It's not because of, it's not a theological differences that we have, or that people have with the church. Well, those I'm okay with. There are evangelicals, and, and, and I've heard from a lot of them since the book came out, who, who say, well, where's that in the Bible? And I deal with all those issues, too. Okay. But, but that's fair enough. It's, um, it's other people. It's, it's not a conspiracy, but what it is, I think, is you have people who are anti-Catholic because it, we're the unchanging institution that stands for truth, and that offends many people. We're, we're like a mirror held up to reflect their brokenness, and they don't like it. But right. they've been aided by people who were born Catholic but have become very anti-Catholic. Right. And so they, they add impetus. And then very liberal Catholic, and I, I, mean, I don't mean liberal in the best sense of the word, I mean people who are very much cafeteria Catholics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've also jumped on the bandwagon. So that, that uh, unholy alliance has made it quite difficult. And many Catholics 
uh, are gentle people. They don't want to respond particularly, or they're too busy to do so. So we, we don't have, you know, most organizations have defense organizations or yeah. they'll respond to attacks. We do have that to a certain degree, but, but um, it's very limited. So Catholics themselves, I think, um, believe some of these claims because that's what we get in popular culture. Well, that's a very good point, actually. That they do. You, you meet people who are faithful Catholic who will still say things like, "Yeah, we should just apologize for all of that." Yeah, yeah. It? Galileo but, was tortured. Yeah, but whatever. we shouldn't. I mean, there are, I'm not saying the Crusades, for example, were, were great. Oh, they were great fun. You know, they weren't. <laughs> they were. They, they were medieval. It was medieval warfare. It was bloody. It was nasty. But the church at its worst has merely been like the culture around it and generally it's been better than the culture around it but the crusades uh, islam had expanded into the christian heartlands of north africa and the middle east and conquered and, 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 and right. murdered many and eventually the church responded it was never an attempt to convert muslims it was to make the, ho- the holy places safe and yeah. just understand what happened and i'm not saying it was right but it wasn't so terribly wrong the Inquisition, well, which Inquisition? There were many. The Spanish is the one that's the problem, and yes. it was a nation-state coming into being, and, and it, again, it, it was wrong. However, there were criminals who would blaspheme merely to go before the Inquisition because they had more chance of a legal support system right. uh, outside of a criminal court. So let's just put this in context and understand that the Church hasn't always been perfect, but it's not the ogre that people claim. Right. So, uh, so I mean, you've already mentioned a couple, uh, most of the issues that you cover in the book. So if people want, like, all the details about the Crusades, the Inquisition, Galileo, life issues, all that's in the book. What is your hope? Is this book for Catholics? Is it for non-Catholics? Is it for, who is it for? That's a good question. It is for Catholics. Now, I mean, it, and, and at, at any level, I'm, I'm not a, a theologian, but I, I, I hope I argue theology in a very popular manner. Yeah. Um, but I'd, certainly it's for Catholics. I, I mean, the, the, I think the bulk of people who are buying the book are Catholic, and I've been stunned yeah. at actually how many people have bought the book, for goodness sake. But yes. also people who have an intelligent curiosity about Catholicism, um, those even who are critical. The real haters, they're not going to buy the book. No. And, you know, that doesn't really matter. But I, I, I know, I mean, most of the, the media I have done has been secular media, and I've been surprised how many people have been extremely, um, if not supportive of the book, supportive of me writing it, and think mm-hmm. that we should include Catholicism in the great debate now. Yeah, interesting. So your hope for the book is, other than people buy it, <laughs> <laughs> what's your hope for the book? Well, I, I don't want to sound too sort of pretentious about myself, but I've had some beautiful emails from people saying, thank you. You know, at, at last, there's something I can read here that's given me some meat. It's intellectualized the instinctive. Mm. I, 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 can, I feel that I can respond, not in a nasty way, but when someone says, well, what, why is it the church, uh, transubstantiation, that's a medieval word. Yeah. Yes, it is a medieval word, but the concept is biblical, and mm-hmm. the word was coined merely to describe something that had never been challenged for a thousand years, and the first time it was, the obvious was challenged, we simply had to give it a name. Um, and people said, well, you know, well, well, celibacy, well, that's medieval, that's not in the, in the Bible. No, it is certainly in the Scripture, and I right. explain where it is, and, and, and just things like, and you hear this a lot from aggressive evangelicals, where's that in the Bible? Well, where's the Bible in the Bible? Where's the Trinity in the Bible? God didn't, exactly. didn't leave us God the Bible. Christ left us a teaching church. office, a yeah. church. So just, you know, giving people little ways to respond and understand that they're not alone. Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of, a, a, of something to put in, in, in your toolkit so you can have these conversations, because we need to be able to have these conversations. They're, they're, they're absolutely vital. They really are. It's... Uh, there, are, there are too many people who simply want to let it all go or pretend things didn't happen. We have to deal with these issues straight on. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Michael. That's all the time we have. Michael Corrin, the book is called Why Catholics Are Right. I have my own 
personally autographed copy right here. It's a great book, so I do encourage people, go to Amazon.ca to uh, check it out, get your own copy. Michael, it's been a, a pleasure uh, speaking with you and having you on the program. Mutual. Thank you so much. Michael Corrin, he's the author of 12 books. He's a newspaper columnist, the host of the nightly Michael Corrin Show on Canada's CTS Network. Michael also appears three times a week on Sun TV and is also the station's guest host. You can learn all about him at his website, michaelcorrin.com. That's michaelcorrin, C-O-R-E-N.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Anna Da Costa, with the title track of her new album, The Deep In You. I want to whisper in your ear Tell you the things alive in me I want to hold your heart in mine Hold you tenderly You make my heart sing I want to feel your love in mine Taste your love like tasting wine Feel your breath, oh, breathe on me You're a melody You make my heart sing I want to know Love I know I can't embrace Why is this love so far from me? My cup is empty Still my heart sings But I want to know
Your love is patient. Your love is kind. Your love is real. Your love divine. Why do you give and set me free? Just take hold of me. Make my heart sing. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. That was Ana da Costa with her song, The Deep in You. I hate to say this again when introducing someone, but I first met Ana da Costa in 2001 as we were preparing for World Youth Day 2002. Ana is the singing and writing partner of Susan Hukong Taylor. Together, they wrote the famous Song of the Cross. I met Anna, and she was quiet. She's a third-order Franciscan. She's humble, but she's a talented songwriter and singer in her own right. Her new album, just released today, The Deep In You, is already getting great comments. I had the chance to speak to Anna da Costa earlier this week. Hello, Anna. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Hello, Pedro. Um, um, I, I want to talk about the Franciscan thing first. Sure. Because... Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, that is, that's how I see you. Okay. <laughs> it's a good thing. Third Order Franciscan, why? Where, where did that come for you? I mean, it's a vocation, but where did that, how did that happen for you? Um, just a desire to live out a deeper Christian life. And St. Francis, since I remember my communion singing a song, uh, St. Francis Prayer, and it always stayed with me. And as I got older, it, it just uh, made a lot of sense to me, and it spoke to me. And so I decided to discern, and, and right. I actually was discerning um, religious life. Okay, yeah, because I was going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Why, and I guess it's discernment and, and vocation, but why not the religious life, and rather uh, a, lay, a lay order? Um, you know, I still think about that. So uh, right now I'm a third order, and if... I'm led into that consecrated life. I'm definitely open to it. Um, maybe I'm just really selfish. <laughs> no, no, but maybe it's a different. It's a different vocation. It's a different calling. That's so true. They're both. They're both good. Um, when did the the singing songwriting start for you? Um, when I was about. Well, I always sang as a kid and made up my own songs, but I didn't yeah. really think much of it until about uh, maybe I was eighteen or nineteen. I picked up the guitar, and I, I taught myself, uh-huh. and as I started playing chords, lyrics would come to me, and so I started 
writing and writing them down and and putting chords to that and it just it came together it wasn't one thing separate right it was both music and words coming together which was pretty uh surprising to me i didn't know i had that gift and uh-huh. i guess it just developed as i um developed as a young adult yeah did you study music at all or in school i did i played the trumpet yeah oh yeah. i'm gonna have to i'd like to see that yeah Anna Costa playing the trumpet yeah um fantastic. and what about the the faith did you grow up in a in a in a kind of faith-filled home catholic home or did yeah. that also come later no that no we always we grew up we went to mass every sunday and you know our parents taught us well yeah. taught us about charity and and loving one another, and um, it was a, it was pretty amazing. I grew up with my godparents. We grew up in the same house. Okay, so interesting. There was a lot of love and a lot of caring. Um, and then when we, we moved away, um, my parents moved to Mississauga. My godparents also decided to live on the same street, so we wouldn't have any kind of a separation anxiety with the kids. Right. And actually, during my teenage years, things got a little bit rough because my yeah. dad turned to drink, and um, you know, life life was hard. Right, but did you did uh, when you say that it was hard? Did you doubt your faith, or did, was the faith there supporting you all along? I mean, um, I was honest with. I think I would say I was honest with God. If I was mad, I was mad. Yeah, you know? that's good. And sometimes I wouldn't go to church on Sunday because I figured what for. I didn't understand. You know, how could there be peace? Right. Um, so, it, so I, I would I would say, you know what? I'm not going to mass as a. I was just rebelling, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which but is normal. But the, the cool thing is, I I always spoke to God. I never stopped speaking to God, mm-hmm. even when I was angry right? and had questions. And, and I believed that God existed, so that wasn't a question for me. It was just being real and honest and saying, you know what, this is, this is why, where are you right now? I need you right now. And, right. You know, I, I'm having a hard time seeing you in all of this. Yeah. Was there a moment then where things changed for you, or was it gradual? I think, I think it was gradual, um, and I had this deep hunger for communion. The Eucharist, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I realized that I I, I needed to uh, go back to the Eucharist because I was hungering for something deeper that the world wasn't giving me. Right. And so I started to go to Mass during the week, and uh, there's a lot of tears and huh. a lot of healing, and um, it just went up from there. So this was around the same time that you were starting to write songs. Exactly. So it was all kind of happening yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna, just a note for anyone that may be tuning in at this time. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. We're speaking with our featured artist of the week, Anna Da Costa. She has a new album, The Deep In You. Um, um, tell me a little bit about this album, because I know it's not technically your first album, or is it? It's not. I Years, many years ago, I recorded a cassette <laughs> okay, you're so, dating yourself. That's right, I'm dating myself. I remember cassettes. Mm-hmm, and it was very, actually, it was a little project I did in someone's basement, and, and everyone did everything um, very beautifully. Yeah. And when I listen to it now, I think, oh my gosh, that was really hurting. But it, it was where <laughs> I was, and um, it actually touched a lot of people. Yeah. And, um, and those it, were, it were all, they were all your songs as well? Yes, they were. Yes, okay. They were. And some people still talk about it, which is kind of scary. Well, that's neat. You should do like a re. I should get my hands on it. I'll I play no, it on I'd the have radio. To do it, I have to do it over again. Do the re the re release the re re did the digital version. Well, that that may, that may be that may be an idea. Oh, that kind of fun. Kinda neat. Yeah. Um, are any of the songs? Uh, have you redone any of those songs from the cassette? Yeah, re-recorded any of those songs? 
No. No, okay. So no. so then that's a project for you to do. Tell me a little bit about the partnership with Susan, Susan Hukong-Taylor. Oh, well, How I did met, that all evolve? Yeah, I met Susan at St. Catherine of Siena Church in Mississauga. Yeah. She, she, she was singing there since she was about 12 years old and playing guitar. And right. I joined the choir. And the rest is history, really. We, we became friends, and we started hanging out and singing together. And, you know, I was already doing music ministry, and there were times where I needed... Um, someone else to accompany me and I would call on her and, and she would generously come. Yeah. And things just evolved from there, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right when you say that the rest is history because mm-hmm. there's quite the journey of the two of you together. Yeah. And she supported you with this album as well. She actually produced the album. Okay. So is she singing with you in the album? Yes, she is. So and she's playing some instruments. Right. And yeah. So she's been a huge support for me with this album. Yeah, I think a lot of people are will recognize the sound, mm-hmm. the, the, the deep water sound, if you want to call it, or Susan and Anna sound. Um, yeah. You know that tomorrow is Father's Day. Yes. And I, I know that one of the songs in the album is either dedicated to or written about your dad. Yes. So can you tell us a bit about that? Well, the song title is Pennies. Uh-huh. And I wrote it years ago. Uh, my, my dad passed away two years, in 2009, right. of, of lung cancer. Mm. And... Um, but I had written a song before that, years before that. And it was a song about my childhood and growing up and yeah. the things he taught me and how things kind of, you know, drifted away. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I was just praying for God to strengthen him. And I was thankful for every moment because it has made me who I am. So the, the sorry, the connection with pennies. Pennies, that's a great question. So when we were kids, when I was living with my godparents, um, my dad would gather all the kids together. And we would, he would make us close our eyes and, and, and turn towards him, and he would take change out of his pocket. Hmm. And he'd throw the pennies on the grass. Sometimes we'd find a quarter, which was always a bonus. Nice. But it was normally, it was pennies, and he would throw them, and we would we, we'd go, go looking for them. So that was a really fond memory of growing up. And when we did accumulate a lot of money, we would, well, you know, 25 cents or something. We'd go right. down to the store and buy Freezies and Lolas and right. bazooka gum. Do you see an, an image of God the Father in that? Absolutely. How? Um, my dad was a very generous man. And I think the reason why I have the relationship I have with God is because my dad, as a child, me being a child, really lavished love and affection on mm. us. Yeah, that's such a good thing to remember. Uh, we were just speaking with Brian Caulfield, who is uh, has a campaign with the Knights of Columbus called Fathers for Good, and they really want to celebrate fatherhood. But it's that idea that that our relationship with God is so deeply rooted in the relationship that we have with our earthly dad. Yes, I There's believe that. There's not a coincidence that God is father. Mm, exactly, yeah. I believe that, truly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Anna, that's all the time we have, but um, it's been so good to finally have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, and th- love the music. Keep up what you're doing. Great, uh, great work. Um, if people want to uh, find out more about you and Susan or bringing you to their event or their parish or to get the album, right. they should go to the website, deepwatersound.ca, That's correct? correct. So deepwatersound.ca, we'll put that link on our site as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much, And all Anna. the best to you, Pedro, and, and blessings on your ministry and your family. Thank you very much. Here now, actually, is Ana da Costa with her song, Pennies. When I look back today and I remember yesterday How we would search for those pennies on the lawn We would laugh and play Joke and cry some days 
Sing silly songs That's the luckle in my mind and That's it for this week's Summer edition of Salt and Light Radio Remember that you can stream or podcast this show at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and you can send us emails to radio at saltandlighttv.org Hope you've been having a great summer I'll talk to you next week We return to our regular programming I'm Pedro Guevara Man and this has been the summer edition of Salt and Light Radio.